All right, so thank you for listening. You're listening to the Anthro Alert podcast, where we take our live show from USF Bulls Radio, and we publish it here for you to listen at your enjoyment. Um, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. Anthro Alert. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you're new to the show, let me tell you a little bit about what we do here. So this show simply is about anthropology and why it matters. Each week we discuss how anthropology is relevant, and over time we feature various guests from the Department of Anthropology here at USF to discuss their research and to have them weigh in on everyday topics or current events. We believe that this is a good opportunity for us as uh, anthropologists, as students of anthropology, to better connect with the USF community and to weigh, uh, to raise the awareness of an anthropological perspective. Just like every week, we like to preface our shows with the disclaimer that uh, the statements that we make here and the opinions that we express are, um, are ours alone and do not necessarily represent um, anthropology as a discipline, uh, the USF Anthropology Department, USF as an institution, or student government. So with all that out of the way, let's get started. So thank you for tuning in. We have two spectacular guests on this week. It's going to be a great show, and we're excited that you guys joined us. We have Buki and Laura, two Ph.D. students here uh, at the department that are that graciously volunteered to donate their time and come and, and speak with us this afternoon. So thank you guys for coming. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. All right, great. So what we're going to do here, um, if you guys – so if you guys are going to listen to the two, uh, the whole two-hour segment, which you should, uh, Buki will be first. He will be from 2 to 3, and then we'll come back with Laura from 3 to 4. So please stay tuned for the full two-hour segment because it's going to be a ride. It is going to be a thrill ride. All right. Buki, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for coming on um, and uh, speaking to us about your research. So why don't you uh, just introduce yourself um, to our listeners? Okay. Thank you. Good afternoon, listeners. Uh, I am Buki. My full name is Ulubukolo Laiwala. I'm a Nigerian studying here in the U.S. Uh, I'm studying... Uh, for PhD program in applied anthropology, and my area of interest, my research interests are in, you know, economic anthropology and an- anthropology of development, gender. I'm interested in women and market. Mm. Right. Thank Interesting. You. So, um, so why why USF? Oh, good. Uh, I did my first degree in Nigeria, University of Ibadan, the premier university, and my second degree also in Nigeria. Mm. And at some point, uh, while I started my PhD in Nigeria, mm-hmm. at some point I made my connection to the U.S., connecting with my advisor. And we, and based on my research experience, I think I can work with him. Mm-hmm. And we pushed that through, you know, application, grant application and things like that. Great. And it was possible. It was even made possible by Wenner Green Foundation. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so I think you have a, you know, a unique experience from you know having an anthropological education 
uh, from Nigeria first. And we know that in the in the history of anthropology, especially in the U.S. and then uh, European anthropology, you know, there there's some slight differences with like cultural anthropology or social uh, anthropology. So what what kind of differences did you see from from the scholars in, in Nigeria compared to to here at the USF? Oh, good. This is a very good question. Oh, generally in Nigeria, some part of you know colonies for, um, for my British or uh, Britain colony from the British in Africa, we do what I can call a branch of anthropology, mm. which is archaeology, more than any other mm. branch. Mm -hmm. For instance, the University of Ibadan was established in 1948, mm -hmm. and uh, still under the you know, Britain uh, authority then, mm -hmm. because Nigeria got independ independence in 1960. But when it was established in Nigeria, that was around 1970 something. Mm -hmm. That was archaeology department, archaeology and history, because then they were interested in the, you know colonial past, mm -hmm. trying to think through history, how we got to where we were as, as at that time, and they see much interest in doing archaeology, mm. and that is, you know, that idea is gotten from British School of <coughs> Anthropology. So I can say in Nigeria, extensively, we do more of archaeology. Mm. But at some point in the 90s, they introduced anthropology with the head of a scholar from, uh, a scholar from the U trained in the U.S., worked extensively in South Africa, all through the apartheid uh, regime in South Africa. His name is Professor Obi Lawi. So he championed the cause in Nigeria, and he introduced, you know, some depth of cultural anthropology. And through that, we've been exposed to research in the area of market, economic anthropology, applied kind of research, mm. moral identity, nationhood, and things like that. Mm. But when we look at anthropology in its full fledged, talking about linguistic anthropology, talking about archaeology, talking about <coughs> forensic science and all that, yeah. We do not do much of that mm. in Nigeria. What we do is more of cultural anthropology mm. and archaeology. So mm. basically, the idea I have, getting here, I see a lot of research going on, especially in the area of applied anthropology, talking about forensic, biological anthropology, how you can use biocultural perspective to analyze problem and to connect it with, you know, other <coughs> part of, you know, problems you can think of. Mm. Then, but coming here in USO, I see, you know, the clear difference that doing anthropology requires us to, you know, have all the subfield of anthropology together. Mm. Mm -hmm. Talking about the linguistic anthropology, talking about archaeology, mm -hmm. and doing research and ensuring that our research informs some of these ideas that cut across sub these subdisciplines within mm. anthropology. Mm -hmm. So so far, you know, I I see a great difference in that. Mm. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. Buki, I wanted to ask you um, if you could. It's it's so interesting hearing about the kind of social history of the discipline of anthropology yeah. as it formed around the world in different ways. And I wanted to ask you um, if you could talk a little bit more about the history of cultural anthropology in Nigeria or in West Africa. 
um, in general. How was that received? Because anthropologists historically have been so unfortunately ingrained, often in colonial projects. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to that. Yes, exactly. That also informed, uh, you know, where we are today when we talk of anthropology, cultural anthropology in Nigeria. More, more importantly, when we are comparing cultural anthropology with other, you know, close-related uh, disciplines like sociology and all that, I see a very strong rivalry between sociology and an cultural anthropology in Nigeria. And it is clear that what disadvantage anthropology or cultural anthropology in Nigeria is as a result of colonial past. Because the earliest, the, you know, the forerunner of the system, you know, having gotten the independence from Britain, they really did not see much interest or reason for them to invest heavily, you know, at the level of university, I mean, on anthropology. They prefer to invest in other social sciences-related disciplines like sociology. So that actually, that impacted negatively, that impacted negatively on the part of anthropology or cultural anthropology within the system. But the whole idea is, even at that, we, within the, you know, within the discipline and within the confines of the university, we still believe largely in what we can do with cultural anthropology and how, even itself, it is assumed that anthropologists created some of this problem, you know, going through the memory lane of you know, colonial experience and all that. I still believe that we can solve more of this problem, mm-hmm. even at this moment. Mm-hmm. But largely going back to the main question, of all the universities in Nigeria, aside from the premier university that I come from, I think just only very few of universities in the system are, have a department of cultural anthropology. Mm-hmm. Usually when they think they need a nomenclature, they relate it with sociology, sociology and cultural anthropology. Mm-hmm. And when you look at you know, the curriculum, the nitty-gritty of their research and everything they are doing, you realize that you really do not find what is cultural anthropology in what they are doing. Mm. But because ethnography has also become what everybody just, you know, hang on now, though we are doing ethnography, we have basic understanding of just interviewing people. But ethnography goes beyond interviewing people. It goes beyond doing some qualitative research, all in the name of ethnography. Mm-hmm. So I think Basically, the history of colonial experience has impacted negatively in the discipline of anthropology mm. within West Africa sub-region. So with that, that history of anthropology, specifically in, in Nigeria, you know, what, what motivated you to choose anthropology as a discipline, but, you know, and, and now to, to pursue it to a PhD, which, you know, which is a lot of time and motivation to, to do that? Yeah, thank you. Let me put it this way. When I finished my f- secondary school education, mm. that is high school in the U.S., I had the opportunity to study in a university called University of Illinois. It's located around middle bed of Nigeria, very close to the southwest, still within the southwest, but geographically and politically is not within the southwest. Mm. Uh, so I studied a diploma in social administration that they call sociology. And through that, we're going through some, you know, rubrics of how we got to where we were at that time and talking about the history of 
colonial administration and colonial government, how some administrative centers were established in Nigeria cities, you know, and how administrators were trained at that period of time. So they talk largely on colonial administrators and masters. They call them colonial masters in court. Mm -hmm. So I realized, oh, who are these people? Let me know about them. So I began to research and try to read around colonial administration and colonial experience. And I realized they actually did a lot of description of different societies across borders within West African sub-region. And that was when the idea of nationhood and nationalism, you know, came into being within the system, like dividing groups, thinking you are, you know, making them a whole, you know, different group of people mm -hmm. being divided based on geography. Mm. So having discovered that, I realized, oh, I, want, I wanted to study anthropology. So I applied for, you know, certificate exam that would qualify me to go and study anthropology. So, and that was the first time I was hearing about anthropology mm -hmm. because it's not taught in, at secondary school level. Mm -hmm. So I gained admission to study this in University of Ibadan. And ever since that time, that has been part of my experience to know more. Well, I think that is a good time for a break and we're so we're going to take a short music break and then we when we come back we'll we'll dive into um buki's research um project for his dissertation stay tuned hey bulls you're listening to bulls radio wsf 89.7 hd3 tampa 16 20 a.m on campus and always streaming worldwide at tunein.com and the TuneIn app to learn more you can go to bullsradio.org Thank you for coming back and joining us here on Anthro Alert on the 2 to 3 o'clock hour. We're here with Buki and Laura. And Buki has been explaining to us some of his experiences um, in Nigeria, learning about anthropology and talking about the history of anthropology in Nigeria. So we're going to transition from that. He's uh, set us up to talk about his research and the research that he's been doing um, with a community in Nigeria. And so Buki does um, economic anthropology and work on uh, microcredit and development organizations. So um, Buki, why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? And uh, be sure, you know, if you're listening and you want to follow along, you, uh, you can read some information that we posted on anthroalert.com. You know, send us a uh, tweet at us at anthroalert. Um, hit us up on Facebook. You know, uh, text message 802-552-4487. You know, we'd love to engage with you a little bit more if you have some questions for Buki here um, because we, we got the answers. Yeah. All right. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <clears throat> going back to my research, I'm interested in, uh, currently my dissertation research is on micro-lending in Nigeria mm -hmm. and what I call as women and experience of economic violence in the process of mobilizing credit for their Right. So what do you mean by um, by economic violence, right? Okay. Okay. This is, let me relate this story. Okay. So you could have, uh, you will get how I get to that point. Okay. When I f finished my first degree, I did my second degree, and I actually did a research within the domain of informal sector and how it, uh, trade organize, is organized along ethnic lines in Nigeria. Okay. And ethnicity is a big deal, just like race is a big deal in the U.S., in Nigeria. And I realized, my interaction with market women, I realized that most of them 
are constituted into different trade items mm. based on their ethnic identity. For instance, let me use three major ethnic groups in Nigeria mm-hmm. to explain this. For instance, be, people that are trading, you know, items like building materials and things like that, they are largely referred, the trade itself is referred to as Igbo people trade. Okay. Within this community society. Then another form of trade is textile, which is largely referred to as Yoruba trade. Mm. And the third one is Beru the change operation. This is like money market, parallel money market in the system. And that one is referred to as Ausa trade. Mm. So I was trying to question these. And based on my interaction, I realized that I pick on pick up on some issues of you know how women come together to vote their resources together within the market system and to push resources like for buying and selling. And I realized they take a lot of their funds from micro lending. Mm. And this is how I got the idea. There's a concept called This is a Yoruba word, but let me explain it. In Yoruba in Yoruba society, owo means money. Then the idea of komulilanta is like expression that when a woman takes money from micro lending institution or banks, such a woman puts her breast mm-hmm. on a hot lanta or hot lamp, mm. which in a way, literally, it connotes suffering. You know, it connotes hardship and mm. vulnerability and things like that. Mm-hmm. So picking up on that, I'm like, oh, I'm interested in looking at why. Because to me, I can link the idea of micro-lending to what Professor Yunis invented around 1976 in Bangladesh based on the interest that he came up with an idea that women lack access to credit. And that is why they remain poor. Mm. Or that is why we have poverty problem across the globe. And because of the success that is tied to this model, let me quickly explain the model before I go further. The model is more of people coming together, and they don't have to go through the rigors of taking money from commercial banks, all these conventional banks that we know, that it is required of you to have collateral before you can take loans from these banks. Mm-hmm. But these women, we come together in form of like six people, eight people in a group. And what they need as their collateral is just that social relationship. So now social relationship is rooted mm-hmm. as collat- in, you know, in, their, in the way they source for their funds, for their trade. So s- such that if someone takes, if the, someone out of this group takes money and its inability to probably pay up a loan or default or the rest of the group, the other members within the group will be responsible for such payment. So in a way, that saves them from problem of going through commercial banks. Owing to the fact that most of these women are not really, they are not literate, so mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. But they can easily go around this bank system and this informal arrangement and get money for their, you know, trade. 
What's the name of this model? It's called Grammy Bank Model. Okay. So it is invented, mm-hmm. and it was originally practiced in Bangladesh. And at a point, because it was uh, because of the success story around it, you know, the world organization, like the world power, like IMF and the rest of them, you know, adopted this model and introduced it to, you know, developing countries that are still tied to them one way or the other. And bringing this, you know, to the base where I'm doing my research. Mm. So in Nigeria, this was also seen as a revolution around 1970, around 1980. And there are so many policies within the system that are tied towards, you know, that neoliberal kind of sense of let's make provision of credit facilities for women. Mm. And this alone is not, you know, done by the government. Mm -hmm. Other individuals are also invited, all in the name of PPP, what we call public-private partnership within the system. So this allows individual and private organizations also to invest in this kind of arrangement such that they will make provision of funds for women. Which, to me, I think the mission is clear because such provision is made. And today, we have proliferation of micro bank, uh, micro-lending banks in Nigeria as of today, within the do, do, within the city where I'm doing my research, not even to talk of other extended, you know, at the outskirts of the city, other big towns, we have nothing less than 200 branches of different micro-lending banks. Wow. That's so a it's a huge investment. Yeah. So now, but what is problematic is this. If it is assumed that provision of credit facility is made, which I can describe as intervention as a development anthropology, you know, student. Mm -hmm. I can describe this as an intervention. And if intervention is given to people and such people came up with another interpretation of this intervention, then there is a need for us to look at this, you know, the nitty-gritty of this uh, system mm-hmm. and see why. Mm-hmm. How often, you know, why do people give meanings to development intervention, which is not the first one in the world? There has been different development intervention projects over time, which oftentimes people give different meaning that is actually probably antithetical to what we consider as something that, be, that, that can be of good impact to their life. Mm-hmm. So this is part of what actually <coughs> motivates me to venture in this project mm-hmm. that I'm doing. Yeah. And today, I can say that there are so many nuances that we need to dig deep to see why the whole system is like that. We can't blame an average woman who has taken loan from the bank, but from this micro-lending bank based on the group lending system. That but has not been able to repay this loan for certain reasons. For instance, I was in Nigeria during summer. I went for a preferred, and I met a couple of these market women. We interacted, and I talked to them. And I've seen experiences where when 
such well for instance if a woman takes this loan and probably default there are ways through which the micro lending you know system or the micro lending bank loan officers there are ways through which they get back the fund mm. one of those ways is part of what i call as economic violence because it is rooted in violence Example of this is what we can describe as dance of degradation in anthropology. Mm. For instance, in a market system, when a woman, you know, defaults in a loan, such a woman will be give, provided a placard that will, be, that will be labeled on her chest, written probably, I owe money, I am a debtor. And such a woman is expected to be paraded around the market, and other people will have pity on her by providing, you know, some token that will make her up what she's meant to pay as a repayment for that time. Usually, their repayments are on weekly basis, monthly basis, you know, but usually weekly and monthly basis. And these are not, you know, big funds. These are just, you know, small amount of money that can take care of you know, petty business. Mm. So that is one. Another aspect of that that I find very important is there is now an issue in the sense that if even the beneficiary can say these negative connotations about the loan they've received, yet there is still pro- proliferation of these banks in the system. That means it's a, it's a big business for private individuals. People are still establishing those banks, branches everywhere. And also, beneficiaries are taking money. <laughs> that means it, co- it requires some anthropological knowledge to explain this. Mm-hmm. We can't, I won't say this is the first time of doing such research. There have been critique of micro l- grammy bank le- uh, lending scheme over time, mm-hmm. even beyond Nigeria. But clearly, what I see as a problem is not that in itself, the model looks like something that can work and something that is close to perfection. But what I see that might be the source of the problem is lack of some cultural nuances or understanding of the context Mm -hmm. from which they want to introduce and from which they are taking some of these ideas from. Even in Bangladesh, where it was introduced, there are critiques about that is not working within that system. Mm -hmm. But clearly, my own interest and what I think I can do about this is to look at some loopholes. Even before the introduction of this micro-lending scheme, people are known to have different ways of arranging credit or mobilizing credit within the system. We have a SUSU type, you know, weekly contribution, daily contribution, and these are things people do, you know, based on, you know, arrangement within the neighborhood, household, market, you know, at different levels. And it was successful. So this is, these are part of the reasons why I'm interested in this research. So are these women that form these groups of like six or, or eight to, um, to form some, some credit um, through, you know, these social bonds, are they yeah. taking... 
a loan from these micro lenders to start that fund, or are they doing that as an alternative to taking a micro loan? Can you come again? So you said that um, that through social relationships, yep. these women are forming groups of like six or or eight yep. um, individuals, yep. and they're essentially pooling their money, correct? Yeah, like as a form of of kind of forming their own bank in a sense. Yeah, right. Mm, we can say to an extent it is like that is the how, that is how the model works. Okay, but it is under the supervision. Of a loan officer, so okay, right so, from the bank. So they're taking a loan from the micro lenders in order to start their funds as a group, right? Yeah, this is how it's okay. arranged. By okay. the time you approach the bank that you are interested in taking loan, you will form a group. That group will have a leader, and the leadership of the group is on rotational basis, such that every member is qualified to be a leader mm. at different times, and the model is clearly stated that each individual cannot run twice except every other member of that group mm-hmm. has run mm-hmm. as a leader at one point or the other. But the idea of social collateral that is tied to it is because, for instance, we have a group of six people and each individual within this group has decided to take loan of about, let's say, Hundred dollar. Mm-hmm. So, which means to that group itself, six hundred dollars has been voted. But it is assumed that they will place them on periodic repayment, okay. which will be probably every week, such so that when you do your sales over the week, there will be a day within the week that will be your main day of paying back mm-hmm. this part of this loan, not all principal with interest we have to say that but they will prorate it in a way that it might take you eight weeks ten weeks twelve weeks to pay up but in case you default that is where the group gets into trouble Mm. and the idea of this kind of um high-handedness is actually tied to how the group itself trying to make up for that default Mm. arrangement because the whole group will be taken responsible Mm -hmm. and for them not to be taken responsible because the system itself is kind of informal arrangement they can manhandle one of those members who has not been able to pay Mm. And that is where the arrangement of, you know, economic violence mm. is perpetuated. So, so these groups of um, of women are they of the same ethnic group when they're forming a group? So, are they are they using these loans as a way to pool their money to sort of start up some sort of entrepreneurship in the, in the market that they're already doing, like textiles or, you know, whatever the market they're associated with? Or are there women from different ethnic groups pooling their money and, and trying to play different markets? This is interesting because even in my research, I'm also thinking about that, like extending mm-hmm. my, you know, research into what is the configuration I make ethnic-wise mm-hmm. of this group. 
But largely what I've seen, based on my interaction and experience, because I've been relating with markets and market women in the last six, seven years. Mm-hmm. And my experience has been that most of them form groups, sometimes depending on the area of the market, along their ethnic lines, sometimes. Mm. Sometimes along trade lines, mm. depending. That is what I've found out so mm. far. Mm-hmm. But the essence of such arrangement is because it is assumed that people who form group together, mm-hmm. one way or the other, must be able to police one another. That is the logic by my own way of interpreting it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But by extension, they are loan officers too. Because they likely have informal arrangement. They have, you know, it's not like a formal banking system and all that. They use documentation to an extent. But the whole arrangement is you know, it's made informal such that these beneficiaries will be free in relating with their, you know, with their banks and even the bank staff. So, hmm. have I answered your question? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, uh, so I have a question. So one of the, so you're saying that um, in many cases that the the microfinance or like the, the money pool system kind of tends to overlay on all already existing market environments? Sometimes, the, because this is part of their procedure too. When you are, sometimes, aside having a group lending, which is popularly known, some of these members also pay individual loans that each individual will be responsible for the loan repayment. But what I think is when they take this loan from the bank, when they are at, at approach the bank, certain procedures will be given to them. For instance, inspection of where their shops are or where their stores are located is part of it. The, it is the responsibility of the bank staff or the loan officer to see that they all have businesses, existing businesses. What they are selling inspection and all that. They have a way of doing that. And when they do that, such loan officer will certify that such individual members can take loan. They are qualified. And upon their qualification, they will be provided these loans. On the account that periodically when they are having their meetings, the loan officer too is part of that meeting. The loan officer will be present you know, to oversee their affair and make the proper collection. But the issue is this. This is where the trick lies. It is also the responsibility of the loan officer, who is the facilitator of that loan from the bank, to ensure that such loans are made possible in terms of repayment at the end of the stipulated time. So if such repayment, if there is a problem, the loan officer itself is also in the problem, even with the bank. So the whole system is, and that's why, in a way, I think, looking at application of anthropological knowledge can unravel so many nuances that are often unobserved. Well, I think that is a good point uh, to wrap up and um, 
take one more short music break, and then when we come back, we'll um, we'll wrap up the the three o'clock hour, or the two to three o'clock hour with Buki, and um, we will transition into speaking with Laura. So stay tuned. Hey Bulls, you're listening to WSF eighty nine point seven HD three Tampa sixteen twenty AM on campus and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. Uh, you're listening to Anthro Alert, the two to three o'clock hour. As we are now a two-hour slot here at Bulls Radio, and we have been talking to Buki for the past hour, a PhD student here at the um, USF Anthropology Department, uh, particularly interested in economic anthropology and economic violence and uh, credit mobilization of women in Nigeria. So we're going to wrap up here with just um, uh, two more questions for for Buki that you can comment on, and then we'll transition for the three to four o'clock hour talking to Laura, another PhD student here at USF. So before we took the break last time, Buki, you said that you thought anthropology could really or an anthropological perspective on the the issue that you're working on with this microcredit lending could really provide some interesting insights. So, you know, where's the where's the anthropology here and how do you think that um it'll it'll benefit, you know, finding some sort of solution to 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 uh microlending. Okay. Thank you. Uh to address that, let me try to give a description of how what I consider to be applied anthropology. I we know what anthropology is, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a perspective that culture matters, yeah, in everything we do. And doing the application of this knowledge now, which I intend to do with my research, I believe that it involves ongoing process of learning while doing and using acquired anthropological knowledge to solve problem, cause positive change, provide intervention, management tools and training in a, in a self-sustaining manner. These, then I ask the question of how do I intend to do all this? I believe, one, that looking at the nitty-gritty of, you know, daily life of the people, ability to be among these people, ability to listen to them, and ability to talk, not for them, but to make them talk to me. So I will have better communication of what exactly are the problems. I'm trying to, you know, I don't, I'm trying to avoid using our own jargon within the discipline mm-hmm. such that my audience will understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But I believe working over time among these people will give me a clue of how to provide some of this solution. Mm-hmm. So participating with them in any form, is a strength. So not coming in with your own solution, but talking to the community about what they see as a solution. Yeah, kind of. Great. And taking point from what they consider as a solution. Mm. Not trying to universalize, because that's part of the critique of micro-lending and making. Yeah. That attempt to universalize some of these approach under the umbrella of neoliberalism mm-hmm. and ca- that are rooted in capitalism. That yeah. is where the problem lies. That is when they can work for a while and they will start, you know, producing negative consequences. So to avoid this, I think listening to people clearly and seeing how we can match up with their perspective in our own understanding of the reality, you know, trying to be specific now and 
taking care of the context rather than, oh, I want my research to provide solution in Nigeria, to provide solution in Bangladesh, to provide solution in Asia and all that. No. But specifically, where can this work? Let's know. Then let's move on. If it can work in other places, fine. And if it can't, we don't have to force it. And that is the perspective of anthropology we are bringing in. Oh, and then, uh, okay, so that's interesting. So, so really kind of just being specific and tailoring tailoring to the individual community that you're looking at or the individual state. Um, now, looking ahead, looking for the future, so how does this research that you're doing now help position you in your career? Like how, what does that ter- career path look for, like for you? Yeah, there are so many things I believe I can do with this knowledge. Some of those... I have have an ongoing training on them. For instance, I've engaged in a couple of projects within Nigeria and outside of Nigeria before coming to the U.S. In 2009, 10, and 11, I was part of the team that did monitoring and evaluation of Millennium Development Projects in Nigeria. And this this was extended beyond my own uh, domain. So I work with other people like engineers, people who actually did the monitoring and evaluation of the physical aspect of the project, but I work more on social impact of this project. I also facilitated program for Action Aid International and Action Aid Nigeria in 2015 before Nigeria general election to work on people's perception about election. And, and I was also part of that methodology group they invited to measure that impact. And I was also participated in that. Then I've worked with a couple of people on research and as independent researchers. So I think in that area, I can channel my work through research. Another thing, I can also be a teacher at the university level. And at the same time, I can be a facilitator of programs, community developed programs and things like that. And largely, doing this, coming up this interests me. Like I don't want to make a critique of some of these things. I also want to come up with a model that I consider that can work, that I can f- do a follow-up on over time. And that is my interest in doing this. So clearly, I think I should be able to you know, project on this as my own career path and see how effectively we can revisit some of these ways of some some of the ways through which people raise money for their businesses you know that is not really faceless like it is international it is within the community and they invest within that community and they make their businesses so i'm interested in that great well i think um that'll wrap up the two to three hour here of anthro alert so buki thank you for the discussion but he will be sticking around while we switch uh over to laura and then we can we can all grill her with questions <laughs> thank you so much thank you spencer thank you everyone thank laura, you you're welcome on board okay. <laughs> okay all right so um we're going to play some music and we're going to uh, reset for the three to four o'clock hour with laura so please stay tuned as it will be a great conversation <laughs> 